following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. We'll be back in Titus 2 this morning, looking at verse 11 to 15, page 998 in the Pew Bibles. Last week we talked about living out our faith as it relates to the different stations in life that we have been placed, whether we are an older man, older woman, younger woman, or younger man, and how our behavior affects the perception of the Word of God and of the church. The last two verses of last week's passage had to do with slaves or bond servants and how their particular behavior can adorn or decorate or beautify the doctrine of God our Savior. Paul kept his eye on the slaves as he continued in verses 11 through 15, where our attention will be today. So let's read that together, and then we'll pray. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing would be on the word this morning. We thank you for it. We thank you for all who are here. Pray that your spirit would move on each one, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds according to your word and by the power of your spirit. We love and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Within these few verses lie some of the most important doctrines in all of Christianity. This passage is so important to our faith. This passage was adopted by the ancient church as what was called a permanent paracope for the festival of Christmas, meaning that these verses were the central verses in the celebration of the nativity, the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. In that same vein, I would remind you of another verse that we often read at Christmas time, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2. People who lived in, walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has a light shone. When I picture that scene in my mind, I picture a sunrise. The light breaking over the mountaintops, bringing light and life, bright and glorious, chasing away the darkness and its shadows. That's exactly what the Greek word that is translated appeared means in verse 11. That the grace of God has risen like the sun and shined its glorious light on all people. The first word there in verse 11 is a word for. That means that this thought is connected to the one before it, and the thought before it was about his slaves. Though slaves made up a huge part of Roman civilization, they were not honored because of that fact. 
they were still treated as property, bought and sold, the lowest class of humanity. Their state was a hopeless one. There was no end to their sentence of slavery. Once you're a slave, you're a slave for life. These folks, treated as subhuman, were living in a land of deep darkness, and upon them the light has shone. The light that is the grace of God has, a bro- has broken over the horizon and brought salvation to all people. I love to be able to say that this text means that salvation has been brought to every single person, but it doesn't. However, it does mean that salvation has been made available to every kind of person. That means that salvation through faith by God's grace is available to all, regardless of sex or race or class. Like it says in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When it comes to salvation by faith in Christ, by God's grace, there is no distinction. By faith we are all made one in Christ Jesus. It's God's grace, his unmerited, undeserved favor upon us, that makes this possible. His grace is the foundation of redemption, of righteousness, and of holiness. His grace not only makes salvation available to all people, but for those who avail themselves of that salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, it also trains us how to live as a result of that faith. It trains us to say no, and it trains us to say yes. Verse 12 said, Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and Godly lives in the present age. The word train means to discipline and instruct, not just disseminate information like a professor to his scholars, but to give precepts and command like a king to his subjects. The goal is to affect behavior as well as belief. The first step is to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to renounce them, to renounce them once and for all. The picture is of repentance, turning around, turning away, unlearning and laying off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The word renounce means to deny any relationship or association with the desires to embrace the world's systems and standards which are hostile to God. First John 2.15-17 says, Do not love the world, meaning the world's systems and standards. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. If the first step in repentance is saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions, the next step is saying yes 
saying yes to living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The grace of God trains and guides and sanctifies the life of man in all its directions, all three dimensions. The first dimension is depth, which is self-control. Self-control has to do with all the duties toward ourselves, temperance and moderation in our behavior and attitudes, all our personal disciplines, and doing what will benefit us both spiritually and physically. The second dimension is width, which is uprightness. Uprightness is how we live as it relates to our neighbors, loving and doing good to other people being unselfish in putting the needs of others before our own desires. The third dimension is height, which is godliness. Living a godly life means living a life of worship and service to the Lord Jesus, living in obedience to his word and acknowledging him in everything and giving glory to him in everything. We don't give credit to Mother Nature for all the beauties we see in the color of fall, it is God our Father that has painted this canvas. These three dimensions encompass holiness, and holiness only finds its basis in faith in Jesus Christ. There is no strength in seeking after holiness without faith that brings forgiveness, and there can be truly no enjoyment of forgiveness without striving after holiness. This is how we are to live in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and his Savior, Jesus Christ. There in verse 13, the word hope is not a verb. It isn't something that we do. The verb in the sentence is to wait. What we are waiting for is our hope, which is a noun. We are waiting for that which we confidently expect, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew Henry wrote, The gospel teaches us not only how to believe and hope well, but also to live well, as becomes that faith and hope in this present world, and as expectance of another and better one. There is the world as it is now, and that which is to come. The present is the time and place of our trial, and the gospel teaches us to live well here, not, however, as our final state, but with an eye chiefly to a future. The appearing of grace in verse 11 is the beginning of that work. The bright and beautiful sun bringing its glorious light to all people, but the appearing, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ is the end of the work. It will truly be finished. Once the Father tells the Son that is time, there will be no more chances for people to turn to Christ in faith once he returns. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says, and just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This thought should motivate us to do two things. 
first to fix our eyes on him and his coming so that we are not blinded by the useless vanity of the world and its desires and passions. And second, it should motivate us to tell people about the grace of God in Christ so that they might turn to him in faith before it's too late. The preaching of the return of Christ in the 1800s in this country brought millions to faith, and we're closer now to his return now than they were, so we need to get to work. Verse 14 shows us exactly how the grace of God has appeared in Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I'm sure you all have wondered, what exactly is penal substitutionary atonement? I'll bet you talked about it over coffee before service this morning. Well, here it is. Jesus gave himself for us by dying in our place on a cross. Why did he do that? He did it to redeem us. That is the word that means literally to buy a slave in order to free them. See why this would have been such good news for a slave to hear? Jesus bought us back from death with his own blood so that we could have new life, a pure life, free from lawlessness, not just free from the penalty of sin, but from the practice of sin as well. He redeemed us from the practice and penalty of lawlessness and sin to make a people for himself, a family for his own possession, who are zealous to do good and not evil, a family of free men and free women, free to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Warren Wiersbe wrote, We were all slaves to sin and could not set ourselves free, but Jesus Christ gave himself as the ransom for our sins. By his death he met the just demands of God's law, so that God in his grace could forgive and free those who believe on Christ. Declare and teach these things, Paul told Titus, Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. All the authority that Paul had to rebuke and exhort and to teach these things, he passed on to Titus so that all who read this word would recognize that authority and obey. I pray that we too would recognize the authority of God's word and obey as well, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great good and his Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.